On the Empire podcast this week, we will feast on your soul with a star and director of Evil Dead, but only in an interviewee way, not a demon possession way, unless I accidentally read from that sinister looking book instead of this script. Uh, also, we'll be starting a rebellion with French director and star Mathieu Kassovitz, and we'll be reviewing both those films, plus White House hostage drama Olympus Has Fallen and environmental drama Promised Land. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which is the only movie podcast to have taken a bullet for the president. Well, that guy told us he was the president anyway. Uh, once again, the revolving door has turned, and Chris has left us for foreign climes, where even now he is hacking his way through the undergrowth in search of movie news in the jungle. Uh, joining me instead is a crack team of heavily armed and highly trained film agents. First up is Ali Plum, a man who has never met a team of vicious terrorists that he didn't try to brutally take down. Hello, Ali. Hello, that's certainly true. That reminds me of something I recently heard on a podcast that both Nick and I enjoy, which is How Did This Get Made? And they kind of dissect difficult, shall we say, movies, also known as terrible films, Hmm. uh, which don't make any sense. The latest one they did was Street Fighter. And that question reminded me of JCVD's character in that, who essentially does, you know, meet every single vicious terrorist and just twists their head off just goes is this a really long convoluted way of working back to the fact that JCVD gave you his business card no 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 this is just to kind of give a shout out to how did this get made and crossed out his phone number before he gave it to you so you wouldn't call him in the night (laughs) he did do that that's not why I'm bringing it up but yeah it was just kind of a hat tip to um, how did this get made who are great and kind of discuss this sort of shit every single uh, every single week so yeah Nick, you're wow. a fan, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. They didn't mention in the podcast that he had a mini affair with Carly Minogue while he was making Street Fighter, Ooh. which is something that he told me in an interview. I didn't even realise that that was news. And then about four years later, uh, he told The Guardian, and suddenly it was big news. I was like, oh. Well, to be fair, if you'd written an Empire, hey, hot scoop, Carly Minogue and JCVD got it on once. True. Uh, yeah. But, uh, that would have been weird. Can we not call him JCVD? It makes him sound like a rapper. It's just <laughs> Van disease. He's the disease and the cure. Yeah. yeah. Forget the intros. You've heard them already. That's James Dyer and Nick DeSemlin. Hello. Yeah, hi. Hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> okay. Uh, shall we start with messages and comments? Uh, first up, uh, I can't imagine what inspired this tweet, but at uh, NCLO has asked, best movie funeral? Ooh. The first one to pop into my head is Terminator 3 just because it has Arnie <laughs> holding a casket in one hand while firing a gun in the other. It's like a minigun or a grenade launcher or something other. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. I, I'd have to pick the one from Live and Let Die where <sighs> the, the funeral is what kills the guy. Right. Which is genius. So they come yeah, along in their funeral, scene. they kill the guy, and that's his funeral. That's pretty... That's pretty I was sure you were going to give the right answer here. Which was the one from Four Weddings and the Funeral the, with a depressing poem. The one from Wrath of Khan, of course. Even though there's bagpipes. Yeah. I, do you know what? I don't even like that. Oh. Um, but the thing is, see that whole sequence, and I have spoken about that at length with my close personal friend Leonard Nimoy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he didn't give me his business card or Chris Allen's number. Clang, but, clang, indeed. Uh, the thing is, that's a great sequence, and but it follows on from a greater sequence, yes. which is obviously the death of Spock, which is a phenomenal scene. Um, but the whole thing is undone by the fact that the last shot of the film essentially tees up the search for Spock and undoes the whole thing. So that funeral really has no has no impact for me. All right, fair enough. Sorry. Ali? Bagpipes or no? Uh, I wanted to mention uh, Boromir because mm. that's a bit of a... Uh, a pyre. Kind of Viking funeral. A, yeah, yeah. Ooh, so it's just of pyres, one of those in Game of Thrones, actually. Speaking of pyres, uh, Darth Vader's pyre is a particularly... 
Yeah. Did I ever tell you about the time when I went around the uh, Star Wars archive and uh, saw the Darth Vader armor that they used for that scene, and it's still crispy from the fire. It's all like singed around the edges. It's made of a kind of a sort of Hessian. That's quite cool. Did yeah. Darth Vader cross out his phone number? <laughs> yeah, he did, as he was burning. There's also, of course, uh, Death at a Funeral, the uh, British original. I'm not saying that either films are like that good, but considering the whole film is a funeral, I feel like we should kind of British give out. British one is decent. I like I the British one a it's lot. It's okay. Mm. It's all right. Um, but I think the best one, it isn't a funeral, it's kind of a memorial, but it's uh, the Big Lebowski. Where they scatter the ashes. Uh, yeah. It's very good. And I the don't... ashes that get scattered in, in, in the dude's beard. Indeed. I'd also uh, give an honourable mention to Aragog's funeral in Harry Potter. Really? And seriously, it's really? very funny because <laughs> because uh, Jim Broadbent uh, gives the gives the eulogy for the giant spider, and and I find that highly amusing. Much better than Dumbledore's. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on swiftly. We've got another question from uh, at Enclo. Uh, what question have you heard journalists ask, or even yourself asked? that made you cringe or die inside. Oh, how long have you got? Yeah, any international junket we've ever been on has been full of them. The obvious ones, the ones where they've clearly not seen the film and they ask really obvious questions. Then there's the ones where they go, so tell me about your film, which, you know, uh, slightly uninventive. And then there's the the, the awkward personal question on a round table where everyone kind of shuffles awkwardly and you see the subject turn quite hostile. Yeah. I remember doing a round table with David Coveney for uh, the second X-Files movie and there was someone from FHM Australia I think who was determined to get a quote from him on his sex addiction and Jesus. everyone else was asking light-hearted questions about the X-Files and it was just hideous and he eventually lost his cool and basically just said I'm not talking to you At the premiere of Moulin Rouge uh, a reporter uh, I actually know who she is actually but she asked, uh, it was just after Kate Winslet's divorced Jim Thribbleton had just come out and uh, she asked Ewan McGregor about it for a comment on the divorce and he went absolutely postal over it like really really angry Quite about rightly. it yeah uh, and obviously that made it very very awkward for everyone else following her wow. on the lineup I-, I was on a red carpet where someone asked Kira Knightley about the plumbing in her new house uh, at length, at length. Were they shilling for work? I, I have no idea. She, apparently, apparently she bought a house, the plumbing had uh, been faulty. Oh, speed fit, not copper, always a rookie error. Well, I guess. Was it you, James? It was me. <laughs> um, on a light-hearted note, I, I died slightly inside when I heard um, my brother Phil doing a pint of milk with Eric Cantona and uh, <laughs> trying to ask the question. Uh, this was We were all in the office and Phil was on the phone to Eric Cantona and he was asking, how hairy is your ass, that pint of milk staple? Uh, but Eric Cantona misheard him and thought he was asking, how airy is your house? So this bizarre conversation was going on. But, but that, oh. even that isn't as good as the fact that the, the key part of that is that the question that we ask for pint of milk is on a scale of one to ten, <laughs> how hairy is your ass? And Phil just went, how hairy is your ass? <laughs> like, what, descriptively? You know, it's slightly curly, a little bit bushy, you know, oh. it depends when it's... What? How do you answer that? But yes, he uh, okay. Well, segueing from asses to uh, to other body parts, uh, the, the most awful moment of my career by far was the time that I was sent down to <laughs> the fault, junket it? for Donkey Punch. Uh, I don't know if you remember Donkey Punch, but it's a British kind of um, quite a dark thriller. Uh, Donkey Punches involves a kind of uh, a, an abnormal sexual practice, and I was sent down with a list of other abnormal sexual practices to quiz them on. <laughs> the film is called Donkey Punch, and yeah. Donkey Punch is the name of an abnormal sexual practice. I yeah. want to make clear it's not yeah. that big a reach. So it seemed in the office like that was all right. <laughs> And, and uh, we were assured that they'd been warned. We were assured yeah. that the cast yeah. were massively up for it. So I went down and there was a bit of a frost in the air anyway. I don't think they were happy about something. And we went on. It was on camera. It was awful. It was horrendous. Even the cameraman at one point shut his eyes and put his hands <laughs> on his head. And 
Yeah. Now, to be clear, what you actually did was you described the sexual practice <laughs> and you asked them for the name, or did you give them no, the no, name I, and ask them to I, describe I, the practice? I had a list of, of words and they had to describe what it involved. So it was pretty much the worst possible thing. What examples can you give us? <laughs> um, Space there docking. There was felching. There was munging. munging look that one up. Uh, there was, yeah, it was it was horrific. And in the cold light of day, when I was down there, it was the wor- genuinely the worst moment of my True life. True or false, you still avoid Ray Winston because you think he's going to thump you for saying all that shit to his daughter. Uh, uh, kind of true. I, I was on a set visit shortly afterwards in New York, and Ray Winston was uh, was on set, and I was interviewing him and Jason Statham together. This is a film that never came out called Thirteen, and he went, "Oh, my daughter's on her way over to the set." Like he said that during the interview, and I was I was going, "We have to, I have to get off this set now." Like literally, I did. No, it's that munging guy. Yeah, it didn't help that uh, we had prizes for the quiz, which were fingers of fudge. <laughs> It just that's not a sexual practice. I should probably point that out. It was, literal it was literally a, a literal a fudge. Let's but, move on. But speaking of misheard questions, we were talking about film. Uh, your fifty cent story is one of my all times favourites. All time favourites. Are we allowed to tell that story? Yeah, absolutely. I did pint of milk with uh, fifty cent, and it was uh, just before he went on stage at Wembley. Uh, he was kind of had psyched himself up for it. It was a terrifying thing. I was sitting on a very small sofa with him, and I was going through the pint of milk questions. He was giving very short answers, so I was trying to get him to elaborate on stuff. And uh, I finally got to the one: "What is your biggest extravagance?" And he said, "My homes." And so I was trying to get him to to kind of elaborate, and I didn't quite know what he meant. So I went, "Your homies." <laughs> And he just said, my homes, again. And I went, your hoes? I don't know. I was I was having an out-of-body it's, experience. It's, it's at once the most amazingly middle-class interview and also possibly the most racist. But Nick, the white middle-class guy from Hertfordshire, yeah. but G-Unit, takes on 50 Cent. found it very funny. They were all in the room. <laughs> I'm glad they did. Your homes? Uh, yeah. Anyway. It, Amazing. It's, it's weird that this question's come up because... This is something that happened to me this week, and Nick was there again listening to me as it happened. Yes. I was talking to Pierce Brosnan on the phone for a movie that's coming out this week, Love Is All You Need, which we'll get to. So I'm speaking to him, and we're going through his movies. I wanted to kind of ask specific questions I had about certain films. And the second question was on one of his first films, because his first movie appearance was A Long Good Friday, and then he did Taffin maybe two films later. Taffin is a nondescript, not that good, basically DVD bargain bin movie. But Adam and Joe and their radio show have picked up a line from it, which is, well, maybe you shouldn't be living here. He screams it. Well, maybe you shouldn't be living here. And so they found that very funny and they regularly made a joke out of it. So I ask Piers Brosnan about that. He's like, I have no memory of that film. I couldn't tell you what happens in it. So what's the line that I say? And so I say, well, maybe you shouldn't be living here. So tell me, how exactly did I say it? And I just and I suddenly realised it suddenly dawned on me. Pierce Brosnan has just asked me down the phone to impersonate him. I can verify, as the only other person there, that Ali was yelling, "Maybe you shouldn't be living here." To Pierce Brosnan, not once, but or about three as, times. As Bane. You shouldn't be living here. No, because he kept asking. He was like, "So wait, so here? How long was here?" And I was like, "You're killing me, Pierce. You are killing this is, me." This sounds suspicious. Like he was winding you up quite dramatically. This was followed by Ali explaining that he has a nickname, Bronhom. <laughs> yeah, which he loves. He loves that. He goes, "I've, I've had far worse." Oh, so. uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish this by just saying one other, uh, which was when we were at Comic Con several years ago. I believe it was for Death Race. Uh, and Chris was interviewing Natalie Martinez and at one point she was talking about the level of fame that she had and, and Chris was like when was the last time you got papped and she just stared at him oh, and she went what pap smeared <laughs> he was like god no I mean photograph Jesus but to be fair, fair to her she wasn't offended she was just a little confused as to why he was you know 
Which was like talking about things only her gynecologist should really be privy to. Absolutely. Anywho. Anywho, <laughs> moving on for all from all our embarrassments. Uh, next up, at Mr. Graham Pierce asks, which films made you start buying a new format? My first DVD was Star Wars Episode Two, but I haven't bought Blu-ray. He says they won't last. He thinks. He may be right, given that physical media, I think, is, is probably on the way out. Certainly. It lasted longer than HD DVD. I've still got <laughs> if, anyone, if anyone out there wants to, I've got about 35. I was, yeah, there was a big thing in the office. I yeah. was like, oh, HD, definitely HD DVD. I mean, Blu-ray just sounds stupid. But you and Chris bought HD DVD players when they'd already pretty much lost the battle because they were so cheap. You're like, oh, yeah, we can clean up. Oh, get all these look films. at this. Yeah, I've still just, got, you know, Children of Men on HD. I haven't got an HD DVD player anymore, but I've still amazing. got it on my shelf. I can't throw it away. Wow. Amazing. Uh, my, the first DVD I ever bought, weirdly, was The Devil's Advent. Which I imported from America. There's logic to this. You remember there's a fresco in it which sort of animates, and it turns out that fresco is actually a real fresco and they hadn't cleared the rights to use it. And there was a big hoo ha about maybe they would end up having to recut the film to blur it or just lose the scene completely. And for some reason, that made me think, oh, I must immediately get the film before that happens. So I imported a Region <laughs> One DVD before before I even owned a DVD player. I, I imported a Region One DVD of The Devil's Advocate, and in the end, they never got rid of the fresco. Wow! I actually um, uh, had bought several DVDs before I had a DVD player. I'd bought probably twenty before I had a DVD player because I was waiting for them to come down in price and just watching them at my friend's house in the meantime. My first were probably Fight Club and Gladiator, as I remember. My first DVD was The Matrix, and also that. Sniper movie with Jude Law. What's that called? Enemy at the Gates. Yeah, I quite enjoyed that. I remember actually my first one because I just had no money. Um, I remember saving up to buy Blade Runner, uh, which came in a cardboard package. You know those old yep, DVD yep. packages? Um, and then I didn't buy a DVD for like maybe a year after that. <laughs> just... do, you, do you remember Flippers? Flippers, where you had to flip the DVD over halfway through. And yes, this was I before do. Dual Layers. It wasn't even like Lord of the Rings Extended. It was like Goodfellas, you'd have to flip it halfway through. But then like you, laser disc. But then people would just, like, if, you know, they'd watch your DVD and they'd just leave it on the side. And you go, no, 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 you put it back in the case. That's right, that's yeah. right. Because both sides can be damaged. Yeah. Oh, God. Quite special. That was very stressful just thinking about it. Was. Let's move on. Next Let's question. Let's move on. Uh, at JillyB192 asks, Hey guys, with all the really shit vampire movies of late, what vampire films are your favourites? Oh. I know what oh. you're going to say, James. No, well, the thing is, you don't, actually, because oh. you think I'm going to say The Lost Boys, don't you? No, I don't. Oh, you I'll don't? I think you're going to you say, think I'm going to say Interview Twilight? with a Vampire. Yeah, it's Interview with a Vampire. See? That's one of my all-time favourite films. I absolutely love it. Uh, I think as a, as a period piece, as a sort of gothic romance, there's nothing about that film that isn't brilliant, apart from arguably Tom Cruise's Lestat, which is a little overbaked. But Brad Pitt is phenomenal in it. Oh, I love it, love it, love it. But um, also Lost Boys is yeah. a massive a massive mm. film for me uh, I, I really really love that and Near Dark in fact as well so. great movie yeah, Lost Boys 1 not Lost Boys 2 no uh, which <laughs> the Frog Vampires. Brothers can cock off yeah I was on set of that and uh, they, they even brought the, the bold sweaty saxophone guy back um, oh yes, that that's um, uh, he sings that song. I still believe the guy with the chains around his neck and yeah. the sort of like really greased hair. It's extraordinary. Yeah, um, Hunger Tony Scott's Hunger, good, good, um, good and choice. Near Dark. Yeah, Near Dark's great. Those three. I thought you were going to say From Dust Till Dawn. Oh, that's another. I'm not good actually one. a fan of that. I'm not a fan of. See, Dawn. I am. I'm not a fan of Rodriguez generally, but I really love Dust Till Dawn. I went and saw it three times in the cinema, all in the same week when I was at university. I feel like I should like it. I like Rodriguez. Oh. I like Tarantino. I like vampires. I it's like really funny. Bra, but it doesn't do it for me at all. And then, of course, there's Let the Right One In, which is kind of a more recent. Yeah. Mm. Um, which I, I, I mean, I, I think it's great. It's a great film. It, it, I don't have the same affection for for that that I do have for you know the Lost Boys. 
I would third the Lost Boys or possibly fourth it. I'm not sure. And uh, after maybe, all of the Twilights. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> as in, after all of your oh, love right, okay, for right. it, um, and none of the Twilights would appear in my top list of vampire movies. I think, but stuff like I don't know, Interview the Vampire, I also like. But I think Dracula, probably a Dracula, should be in here. Presumably, I'd you say, mean a Hammer Dracula rather than I'd say a the Christopher Lee Dracula. one. Uh, oh, the Coppola, the Coppola Dracula is hilarious. I like it. I love the Coppola Dracula. I just don't understand just why in they invented way. the character Children of Elizabeth. You know, indeed. You know, like. Uh, the the Winona Ryder sort of like is a reincarnation and they've made this character up completely to yeah. try and make Vlad more sympathetic it works um, better in The Mummy yeah that gambit is yeah, that it, the one with Keanu Reeves doing the amazing yes, yes. I know yeah. where the bastard sleeps yes. <laughs> but it also has the gag when he, where Anthony Hopkins goes civilization and civilization have advanced together which is uh, a lovely little pun <laughs> next up at Aidan asks that's the way it's spelt honestly it's not just the way I'm saying it is there a formula for a good movie book adaptation and if so what is it now I'm assuming this is a movie from a book or I, is I it assumed it was it was a movie it book was, yeah, a book a, of the movie book, in which case the answer is simple get Alan Dean Foster to do it any any advance on that uh, not really I've got nothing to say but I, I was reading about Orson Scott Card who obviously created Ender's Game and mm-hmm. yeah. he's a pretty famous sci-fi writer he I is. didn't realise he did the novelisation of The Abyss and apparently added so much backstory and science to it that it's like a completely different story, essentially. But I'm quite intrigued to track that down. I love it when that happens, when people add so much to it. It's almost its own beast. I mean, not quite, Mm. but... A lot of them are, because I used to read a lot of these uh, back in the sort of 80s. When I wasn't old enough to get into 18s, I would read the novelizations of, you know, Robocop and Predator and, and all that kind of stuff. But what's often interesting is that they write the book from the very early draft of the script. Mm. Uh, and the film often is dramatically different. Like in Predator, the whole ending of that is different. I believe Dutch kills the Predator with its own shoulder cannon, although it's not a shoulder cannon, it's some kind of weird alien spear. Um, Aliens has got uh, the novelization of that, which is Alan Dean Foster, um, has got lots of really cool stuff, which are in, was in the special edition, uh, okay. but didn't make it into the uh, into the theatrical release. It's also got the scene where um, where Ripley finds Burke all strung up in the alien hive and impregnated, and she gives him a grenade and lets him kill himself, which was never shot. I have a soft spot for uh, novelizations of, of bad films and just someone who gets so into the mythology of just a terrible film. There's a Terminator Salvation novelization just sitting around on the floor in the office somewhere, <laughs> and, and I just read it. <laughs> I picked it up one day and had a look. And yeah, they just added like you know, there's inner monologues of these dreadful characters. Um, Chris always talks about the first Terminator novelization where the guy's inserted a very lurid sex scene. <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> Just for the hell of it. Yeah. Amazing. I remember uh, picking up the Planet of the Apes, the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes novelization in the bookstore after the film came out because I really wanted to know what the heck was up with that ending. And imagine my disappointment when I discovered that that's nowhere in the novel. The novel ends <laughs> when he gets back in the capsule basically um, because clearly this was some completely last minute rubbish that they tacked on in an attempt to make this film have a, have <laughs> a shock ending it's not in ending. the novelisation at all um, so it, you know your guess is as good as mine what the heck was going on there I don't think Tim Burton knows no I'm fairly certain who authorises them and who reads them I'm, I'm genuinely curious I know we did a feature our writer Owen Williams did a feature on them and he, he's a bit of an expert mm. but I, where do you buy them who is reading bookshops yeah. predominantly Okay. Well, do they even <laughs> exist anymore? Just a good point. Now you can get. You know what? I wonder how many of them. Do, do all films now get novelizations? It's been a very long time so, since yeah. I've seen one. So I you am, may be right. I am seeing more of them actually. When I went on HMV after the "Is it going? Is it not? Will they? Won't they?" I walked around and there were absolutely tons of Snow White and the Huntsman tie-in novelizations. I think it does tend to be a, a lot of them nowadays are kind of spin-offs rather than necessarily 
straight novelizations. Yeah. I mean, I think novelizations had their heyday in the sort of seventies and eighties when you didn't get the film immediately after. Yeah, it took years. You know, it took years. Yeah. I mean, we're not getting DVDs within about three months. It, it was, you know, at the very minimum a year, and it used to be longer in many cases. But equally, graphic novelizations seem to be taken off now. True. That seems to be very much the thing with films. So there'll be a graphic novelization, then a graphic sequel, and there's a prequel. I mean, Star Trek. There's a currently countdown to darkness. Iron thing Man running. Three prequel as well. There's tons of it. Well, it's funny you say that. We, we were. I think it's safe to say fans of Dread, the recent Dread with Carl Urban. It's not getting a sequel. It didn't make enough money uh, in the cinemas, but it did garner enough interest for there to be a comic book series, which will continue that version of Dread. So I don't know. Uh, hopefully that'll build up enough steam and then that'll be turned into a movie. I don't know. Probably but has the same budget as the film. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so it's really almost exclusively science fiction and fantasy films that get this treatment. You don't get a grown-ups the book, do you? No, I Let's really hope, hope not. not. It's wow. the kind of films that Forbidden Planet would like, really, isn't yeah. it? That's right. uh, that seems to be. And there's pain. still quite yeah. a lot of novelizations if you go down to Forbidden Planet of games as well. That's a big area as well. But Let's yeah, do it after the podcast. I'm going right. to find out. It's only next door. I'm going to find out if there's an Elysium one because I'd quite like to read that. That's a good show. All right. OK, well, thank you for those questions, you clever people. If you would like to have yours read out on the show, then you can email us at podcast at empiremagazine.com. On Facebook, we are also Empire Magazine. Um, and you can tweet us where we are at Empire Magazine. And the hashtag there is, of course, Empire Podcast, or we won't see the message. All right, on with the interviews. First up, we are joined by a French actor and director who made a name for himself with the blistering, still relevant Len, um, who's the object of affection for Amelie, who worked with Spielberg in Munich and even found time to mug Bruce Willis in The Fifth Element. Yes, it's Mathieu Kassovitz, and his new film is Rebellion, which is the true story of a hostage crisis in the French colony of New Caledonia in the mid-1980s. Uh, Kassovitz stars as uh, Captain Le Gorgeau, the man tasked with negotiating a peaceful solution in the middle of all this, but it doesn't all go quite to plan. He spoke to myself and Ali. Right, uh, welcome to the Empire Podcast. We're joined today in the pod booth by Mathieu Kasovitz to talk about uh, Rebellion. So welcome. Thank you. Welcome yourself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, so uh, this is uh, this is a film. It's about a, a real life uh, incident in the 1980s uh, in New Caledonia. I mean, it, it's something that probably British people won't have heard of. I mean, I don't know how well known it is in France, but can you tell us a little bit of the background? Uh, it's a story that happened uh, in 1988, in between you know during the the elections in between François Mitterrand and Jacques Chirac, who was a uh, prime minister, and François Mitterrand was a uh, uh, president. And uh, in New Caledonia, a small island, uh, you know, next to Australia, French island, a French colony, uh, some uh, freedom fighters, some independent uh, fighters just uh, attacked a police precinct, mm. killed uh, four policemen and uh, took 30 hostages. And they put them in, uh, in caves in a very small island. And, uh, you know, the response was just violence and uh, they killed everybody uh, military French military came in and killed 19 people this wasn't shot in New Caledonia I gather is that because of logistics or because it's still too raw right now it's way too raw and uh, we worked for 10 years to get all the you know we're working with uh, tribes these people are from tribes then they obey uh, you know rules that are they've been here forever and uh, one of the rules is that if you want to accomplish something there you, everybody needs to agree on it so we spent 10 years to try to get 
everybody to say, not to say yes, but at least to say, I understand why you want to do this. Because it's very, you know, it's very raw. It's very, uh, people are still alive and they, and they, uh, and they're very protective of their story because it represents what they are and it's very symbolic of what, you know, what they fight for. I mean, you, you star in the movie as uh, Le Gourjou as well as, as, directing it and, and writing it and basically doing everything except making the tea. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I made the tea also. You made the tea also. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I mean, can, can you tell us a bit about him? Because I think there's no quite, there isn't quite an English equivalent of the GIGN. So, you know, it, 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 I mean, when we saw the movie, we, it took us a little bit at, at the beginning to get hold of what exactly his job and what his role is. I mean, yeah. that becomes clear through the movie. But can you explain that? A yeah, bit? the GIGN is one of the first uh, SWAT uh, elite team that was uh, put together after the Munich incident, right. when all the police of the world said uh, we need a special unit that can take care of, uh, you know, uh, terrorists right. uh, and hostage situations, and um, and the GIGN was the best team for years. Uh, still today, they are the most renowned, and they are very famous because they are not killers. Their their job is to save lives, and they will save lives of the hostages, but also. They, if they can, they will save lives of the of the you know perpetrators. Mm. So they're very ethical and very precise and very professional, and um, and they're negotiators actually. So we're telling the story of a, of one of these captains who uh, started to negotiate with the the hostage uh, uh, takers and and but couldn't couldn't go all the way mm. because the government didn't want him to. Yeah. And it clearly affected him. He talks about it in, uh, as being. He actually the resigned a year yeah. later because he, you know, he was the top, uh, the top captain of uh, the most elite team, you know, on the planet, and he resigned because he, he had to follow orders that were against his own morality, mm -hmm. and that was, the end of it for him. And while I was work, I I discovered that story in 1999. I I started to work on it in 2001. And with everything that happened during those 10 years, you know, and the way the world shifted, I was like, this is really interesting because that story is showing, you know, is exposing everything that we are experiencing for the past 10 years. Mm. You know, government lying, uh, fake truth and and manipulation to yeah. get people to do what they want. And, and the, you know, the treatment of the, the locals, because, you know, while this hostage crisis is going on, you see the army going in and trying to extract information from the locals with, at the very least, brutal methods, if not actual torture. I, you I, know? I mean, the, the movie is not a, you know, people say, oh, it's a controversial movie. It's not. We It's a very well-balanced movie. We worked 10 years to to gather information, to cross information, to be sure that we are not, um, you know, uh, dis changing the truth again. Because we heard that story. I was 18 when it happened, and we heard a lie. Everybody the, the, and the media transmitted like a lie said by the government. And when you discover that it's a lie, you just, you know, you, you need to expose it. And um, so that's what we did. Mm. I'm just going to jump, uh, we can jump back to this, but I just want to jump to something else. I was recently interviewing uh, Vince, uh, Mr. Cassell, the other day for Trans, Trans. Yeah. And I asked him about whether we could see maybe a reunion or a kind of celebration of uh, La N, because it's coming up, and I don't want to, I don't want to worry you here, to 20 years. Shit. Uh, since, <laughs> Shite. Since it came out. Um, I was wondering whether it was going to come out on Blu-ray or um, whether it was going to have some kind of celebration and also whether you'd heard anybody else other than Sarkozy who surprised you by saying they liked the film. 
did Sarkozy see it? Sarkozy is a snake. Come on. <laughs> he didn't like the film. He didn't understand it. He thought he, somebody told him that he should say that. Um, uh, reunions, no, because um, I don't you know why you you know we're old now the movie itself is a reunion if you want to watch it but we had so many you know anniversary editions already you know we had like uh you know we have the 10 years the 15 years now it's going to be 20 years you know the movie is here and i'm very surprised that it's still relevant today mm. and uh, i'm kind of sad but i'm also kind of happy for my business <laughs> <laughs> When I was watching Inception for the first time, I was kind of a little bit freaked out, isn't the right word, but I was kind of worried when I was hearing Je ne regrette rien, because yeah. it reminded me so much of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't fit for me. Yeah, I was wondering if I should sue Nolan. <laughs> but then I said, no, I can't. <laughs> he, he will probably have no, some no, arguments no, yeah, about No, but it's a, you know, that's, that song is such, uh, that it represents France everywhere in the world. And for, for, for that movie, that was perfect, because that's, perfect memory you know yeah. conscious memory for everybody and I've got a personal question here one of my fond memories of seeing you on screen is in The Fifth Element uh, do people <laughs> ask you about that a lot and did yeah, you I, keep the very nice hat I, I still have that hat and, <laughs> and yeah I still I still have it and I, I'm surprised that how many people come to me it's like oh man uh, that that you know that was a day of shoot that was but still uh, 20 years later people remember it it's funny yeah yeah they pushed the little yellow button yeah 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 yeah, yeah. do you ever get a bit annoyed it's like that was like one day's work can you not look at something that I actually but worked you know, hard on <laughs> you know I get recognized for this for hate for Lion and for Amelie mm. and at some point you know like a few years ago I was like come on guys you know <laughs> I've done other things but then I realized that, you know, as you can feel it as a curse because that's how people see you. But you're very grateful to have at least those kinds of movie under your belt. Mm. And, you know, to say that I've done that. I don't know if I can do it again, but at least I've done them. And, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a huge pride. Absolutely. Well, Amelie is, uh, you know, beloved all over the world. Amelie is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how that movie, you know, uh, represent France and made me a romantic figure. For ten minutes, <laughs> <laughs> Do you, did you keep a gnome? The oh, little... the gnome, the gnome. Uh, uh, he's always around. He's traveling, you know. He's all oh, right. yeah, he okay. goes around, all over the world. He keeps on sending <laughs> sending us uh, Polaroids. <laughs> uh, I've got a question from Phil, who couldn't make it today. He's one of our colleagues, okay. and he wanted to ask about what it was like working with that cow. With with who the cow? Not the what? I'm not referring to a person. I'm referring to an actual vash. An actual a vash. Uh, uh, I didn't. Get, did I get the cow? You mean in land? Yeah. Did Did you see the cow? Do you see the cow in the land? That's is the there a shot? I, don't I think remember. there is a shot. Yeah. Is there? You know why? Because we have a say in France that we say morovash, death to the cows, which is an anarch anarchic uh, uh, saying uh, death. Cows mean cops. So we say, Morovash was, you know, uh, the way to uh, rebel when, like, back in the 40s, you know. And uh, so I, I, I took that as an example, just uh, as a symbol uh, uh, of uh, the fight against uh, the police. That's amazing because, obviously, you know, for England and America, it's, it's pigs. 
Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. We have, we, we see it differently. Something lost in translation. I mean, one of the things that's always uh, struck me about Len, because uh, it used to be the American subtitles had replaced Asterix with Snoopy. And yeah. It irritated me every time I watched it because I'd be looking at the subtitles going, that's not what they're saying. Yeah, it's I know, not- but it's, you know, when you were uh, trying to do a. The, the subtitles of this movie were like come on I, I don't know even for this one for, mm. for Rebellion we're doing a, you know a, a translation how do you translate gendarmerie you know mm. what is a, you have to find the you know it's not a SWAT team it's it's difficult so yeah subtitles is but movies like that like La Haine or Rebellion weren't made, meant to uh, to go uh, overseas you know they were very French based and French uh, orientated and they were never meant to be international uh, but they carry the stories that they that they carry is very universal I think mm-hmm. that's why sometimes they you know they, they it's out of my control but it becomes a, a La Haine is such an international problem an international movie yeah. it's crazy everywhere I go I get the same prizes about this movie it's crazy in terms of speaking of sort of France versus kind of international I mean it, how is the French film industry at the moment? Because I think a lot of British filmmakers think that the French have it much easier, that it's a lot easier to get a movie made, that the, yeah, the industry is healthier than it is here. It's too easy to get a movie made in France <laughs> because we release uh, we release at least in between 15 to 20 movies a, a week. Wow. And no, really? Yeah, yeah in theatres in France, internationally, we have 20 movies a week. So there is not enough screens to put all these movies together and, and show it to the to, to the audience so movies are coming come and go very fast and we shoot French movies we go in between 150 to 200 movies a year Wow! so we do a lot of movies the problem is not the quantity the problem is the quality and I call me pretentious or whatever but I'm not impressed and I want to be impressed I want to work in a community that I'm that I respect and I'm and and that inspires me and I'm not inspired by French cinema and that makes me really sad and pissed yeah I'm I'm working on a TV series for for HBO so I'm I'm trying to create a couple of uh, you know I'm very interested in TV format because it's um, it gives you a lot of freedom and these guys do amazing TV shows, so so we're working on something very edgy, very uh, very very edgy, and uh, you know, and a couple of things like that. So very interesting things are going on in LA in Hollywood, and very interesting people and talented people. So if you manage to get all these people to work together on one interesting project, you're going to get an interesting movie. You know, so that's uh, that's where I'm aiming at right now. This is a, a bit of a left field question here, but I. Um I was wondering whether you might be a fan of Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad is was much bigger in France. It caught on in France quicker than it did in the UK. Yeah, really? Uh, yeah, for whatever reason, there were French journalists in the writer's room for season two. Really? And I didn't know that. And UK and US weren't really kind of aware of it as a concept. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if you were a fan. Um, Who's not? Yeah, well. <laughs> of course, uh, you, you're, you have to be a fan. Uh, it's uh, one of the best TV shows. This one, Sopranos, I think, was the first one that really... You know, put me on my ass like really crazy. Uh, but Breaking Bad, yeah. We, you know, it's funny how lonesome we feel like, like, like I, I fatherless or family. You know, uh, we're totally disorientated when a season stops and we have to wait for another eight months to get the the, the, the follow up. We are a lot of people are breathing. 
you know Breaking Bad for month yeah. until it comes back on on the on TV and uh, and it's a uh, and and what I like is that the 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 re relationship we have with the series with the people with the actors and the, the characters it becomes very intimate you know the last shot of of the sopranos and the last scene the last episode was heartbreaking for a lot of people because we're losing family members mm. you know and uh, so it's it's uh, tv that's what tv does and it's i think it's fascinating for 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 a filmmaker to be able to hold that you know uh, energy and focus and 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 create that passion you know into within audiences it's crazy yeah you know? well i hope your gritty hbo drama is as gritty as breaking bad uh, it's going to be gritty it's it's about sex it's going to be gritty yeah it's <laughs> wow. about it's about power you know woman empowerment it's how, through sex and the power that they can have through uh not through sex but through domination wow it's crazy wow it's about three it's a true story it's like, a true story. like three taglines in there <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I should you've got a really evil grin on your face just talking yeah, about yeah because it. <laughs> it's, i know i know uh, how 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 strong it is you know it's it's a uh, it's it's shockingly strong yeah hbo is like nowhere else on earth really is it <laughs> yeah yeah they, they've, it's not know. like the BBC. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like the BBC. Uh, stiff upper lip and everything. Um, all right, come well. on, guys. Doctor Wu has been here for like how many? Two hundred years. It's crazy. Yeah. Fiftieth right? anniversary this year. Fiftieth anniversary. Fiftieth. Crazy. How That's many doctors the, have we had? Eleven. Uh, I think we're on the eleventh doctor. Yeah. Worldwide is probably the the, the longest and the most uh, right. I think it's coming up on. I think there's yeah, something else that might be longer. It had an interruption, unfortunately, uh, in the early noughties where there was a oh, gap. Yeah, okay, okay. But it is it's, it's crazy. It's an institution. It's crazy. Yeah, we need to make a gritty, hard-edged version of Doctor Who for HBO. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah, Doctor What? <laughs> Doctor What? <laughs> <Doctor> say What? <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. He was a lot of fun, wasn't he? Très bien. Merci. Bon. Au revoir. <laughs> there you have the sum total of our French knowledge. Well done. Uh, movie time news now. James, what have you got for us? I have, unsurprisingly for me, another bit of Star Wars news. Although it's not really news, is it? Because we kind of, I think, had, had extrapolated this. But Disney we felt a, a disturbance in the forest. We did we? feel it was like millions of voices had cried or out in terror, or oysters, and were and were suddenly silenced. Uh, Disney are basically going to churn out. I think I can say churn out um, a Star <laughs> Wars movie every year from 2015 they're going to craft an annual they're going outing. to lovingly lovingly, lovingly craft, craft and, uh, and send on its way so starting with episode 7 in 2015 uh, there'll be another one in 2016 that will not be episode 8 that's going to be a, a sort of a non-saga so perhaps one, one of the, the spin-off movies focusing on the characters or the exactly you know, Greek, you know Greedo's fraternity years or whatever uh, and then episode 8 so the, the, the saga films will be every other year interspersed with these, uh, with these little, these little character movies, um, this is a difficult one because there's a part of me uh, that says more Star Wars equals yay, more Star Wars goodness, mm. and there's another part of me which does worry a little bit that it's becoming a Star Wars factory. Um, that's and if it wasn't J.J. Abrams, honestly, if it wasn't J.J. Abrams doing Episode Seven, I think I'd be more concerned. But I, he, he he's not the kind of guy who's just going to crank out something. Clones of clones of yeah. clones, right? Indeed. Indeed. And and also he has even said he said yeah 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 you know 2015, assuming it's done by then. And he he certainly isn't as adamant about the release date as Disney is. And I'd be I'd be intrigued to see how much 
leeway they'll give him on that like if he mm. says actually I want it to be brilliant 2016 whether that's something they'd allow I mean I think it's, this is interesting because I think this will work if they if they're kind of a, as keen about quality control as other bits of the studio are to be mm. fair I mean because Marvel is is pulling out at least one a year agreed um, and Kevin Feige so far has, has shown a very very steady hand in, in keeping all of those good they're all different they're all their own thing but you know they're, they're all up to a certain level mm. maybe not Iron Man too, but the rest um, you know Pixar have been at least one a year generally speaking and again you've got John Lester trying to keep those on a level so what we've got to hope here is that presumably Kathleen Kennedy uh, and her team can can do the same for Star Wars, I guess. And I think you, you've got to trust Kathy Kennedy with this. Um, and it, I think you're right in the Marvel thing. They're treating this rather than uh, rather than like an ongoing story. They're mm. treating it like the, this is the Star Wars universe, like the Marvel universe. So yeah. you know, if if Episode Seven is, is is Iron Man, then the next one is you know Thor or whatever else. So they can branch out and do different things. And it is a very rich universe. And I think it does. Uh, it, it, it does support that the, the question is is what people said about the prequels is that when you play too much in this pond do you muddy the waters for everyone and I think yeah. that is a genuine worry um, but I mean, I mean we look at it over the last you know 30 years or so how many different Star Wars properties have there been you know games books comics TV series um, and I don't you know watch Star Wars and like it any less because of that so maybe it's all I good. think that's the issue is that the Marvel Universe for me anyway and mm. for a lot of people who aren't real comic book junkies is something that we don't know a huge amount about so this kind of keeps opening and opening and new things kept getting drawn in mm. whereas Star Wars you've, it's been around for so long and it's so kind of you know permeates pop culture that I don't know where they're going to go with it. I really feel like I know a lot about that universe. I think, and I think we've touched on this before, I think the mistake would be to do Solo the early years or anything like that because I think the one opportunity you have to genuinely do damage to the original saga is by undermining the mystique and the mystery behind those characters. Hanzalo is great because he is a scoundrel who they pick up in a bar. I don't want to know who he went to school with. Do you know what I mean? I don't need to see any of that. Um, and the same with Boba Fett. I, it, it upset me a little bit that he was somewhat emasculated by Attack of the Clones. I didn't need to see him as Jango Fett's son, as a as a little boy. As, I liked the fact that he was just some guy in army. He didn't know anything about him other than he was quite surly. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, by all means, go out and explore the universe. There's lots of stuff to do, but maybe maybe new characters. Maybe yeah, I, I, I feel exactly the same way, actually, about those particular two examples. But I was watching Ever Strikes Back on the new Blu-ray edition the other day, and it's so weird hearing the new redubbed voice of Boba it's just really weird it's like, yeah. it's, I, it isn't make, that good to me dead fosh and chops I want some <laughs> fosh and chops right now get him dead but you watch it and you, you laugh at those guys who when they watched um, it for the first time they'd go it's fake it's fake and other people go yeah of course it's a space slug of course it's fake of course it's not real but I was actually in the back of my head going fake mm. it's fake yeah I, do you know what I, I am the guy who still watches the original theatrical cut in its dreadful non-cleaned up two channel stereo glory um, I'm a purist that way I say go strongly in the direction of the Chewbacca family again and uh, let's have more holiday specials with Lumpy and Lumpy <laughs> yes and, uh, it must be done Blinky all the gang <laughs> bring them back they're uh, pew pew but you know what I mean it's like Chewbacca's great but then as soon as you introduce his family and his mates it's awful and yeah. I just worry you know they'll do something with the huts I imagine I've heard rumours that they're going to do some kind of gangster it, movie with, with the Eddie huts, Murphy playing which sounds all the parts. great but I love Jabba the Hutt and I don't want to know if I want to see a whole movie where he's you know well, garroting people there was the baby hut in Clone Wars well there have been a few huts haven't they yeah. Move. yeah and the, the, the day glow sort of camp hut wasn't uh, there there's some there's a, there's oh, a, yeah. 
<laughs> what the hut is going on, I don't know. Indeed. Uh, Nick, what have you got for us? Hello, I have sequel news. Um, 20, 21 Jump Street? 22 Jump Street. 22 Jump Street now. <laughs> well done, James. <laughs> oh, I threw you the ball, you dropped it. That's it. Um, and uh, also The Croods is, uh, oh. is going to get a sequel. Because that's done very well. It has done very well. I've got to confess at this point, I haven't seen The Croods. I hear mixed things uh, in the office. Yes, it polarises a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Dan really, really enjoyed it. Ali, less so. Yeah, Phil and I both walked out just going, that was, as they always say... Crude. Crude, yeah, <laughs> but it was just like two hours of my life I'll never get back. It's, it's how I felt about it, honestly. I haven't seen it, but I will say that I did have a flick through the Art Of book, and I thought it looked pretty good. I enjoyed the little... Mutant creatures. I like the the, belt. The art is great. I just felt that there were maybe five jokes in there. Yeah. Tops. And that that book has a great introduction from Nick Cage. He says he he discovered the character of Grug as he walked through Glastonbury's woodlands or something. Probably holding the uh, wizard staff. He told us about If you haven't read our web chat with him, really, you need to read. He has a wizard staff from from Hachu Bachu. Yeah, the the haunted haunted forest forest, in Romania. Yeah, he picked up this piece of wood. An old woodcutter gave it to him. Well, we've all got one. Yeah, if you're online, uh, Google Empire Nick Cage web chat and read that story because it is astonishing. I missed the web chat with Nick Cage. But yeah, and, and I, I know that it looks good, and I know that it's got a creature that, that sort of makes a, a funny noise that someone's got and keeps yeah. pressing. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, but yeah, I haven't got any strong views on that. Uh, 21 Jump Street, however, on board. Great, great combo. I am guessing that they won't be going back to a school or be doing college. That would. That was sort of set up by the very, very end of the last film, so, you know, yeah. Or they could make it more comedic and go to like primary school or kindergarten yeah. <laughs> <laughs> try and infiltrate kindergarten wow kindergarten cop no uh, yes. so there we go that's, that's some hot sequel news alright um, there's also in slight sequel news is that Avengers 2 will shoot in Britain we knew this already uh, it's going to be Hurrah! in, in Ingerland land um, and that's going to be shot in February next year and apparently this is just a bit of it's a curio really Joss Whedon said on a red carpet interview recently that he came up with the idea of Avengers 2 before he'd actually finished coming up with the idea for Avengers 1 in Joss we trust that, but that's an amazing thing to say there's a great podcast um, conversation between Joss Whedon and Jeff Goldsmith creative screenwriting podcast very good if you haven't listened to it and um whedon says during that that he had another villain the one the one thing that he and marvel disagreed on with avengers was he had another villain he didn't want it just to be loki and then uh marvel said you know just go with loki this time so he already has another villain in his head that he's gonna presumably transpose to this one yeah you wonder whether it's going to be thanos or whether that was kind of a you know the credit sting at the end of the avengers was a kind of I don't know, balm to Joss, whether that was the, the big bad he was thinking about. Who knows? We'll see. I think Guardians of the Galaxy will answer a lot of these questions too. I would have thought that, if anything, Thanos will, will bleed into Guardians of the Galaxy because he's more that kind of villain, do you know what I mean? Sort mm. of a galactic threat. But I know they, they said we've got to have aliens in because you need to have a threat tangible enough to be a threat to these this group of superpowered individuals. There's a point where if you're starting to bring in Thanos, it might be getting a bit much... Sorry, the space raccoon's not a bit much. <laughs> space raccoon may be a bit much, but what I'm saying is he's one of the Guardians of the Galaxy. They deal with this shit every day. Uh, I think that can all work out quite well. I would like to see the Avengers 2 bring it a bit more terrestrial. Um, you know, maybe take on... Mole Man? Mole Man, yes. Mole Man and the Morlocks. Morlocks. 
The Underminer. I have a whole bunch of trailers just to mention to you that you should go watch on EmpireOnline.com. Star Trek Into Darkness got its third proper full-length trailer. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, and this is a very exciting one because it has something that they told us about when I did a a visit in December and then said we couldn't say anything about it at that point, but it's clearly going to be important in the film. It's a big ship. I'm not going to say anything more than that, but it's a big ship. That's the first look we've had at it, and that's going to matter in the film. You probably didn't see that coming. Star Trek, big ship. But Helen's right, it is actually very important. Yeah. And do watch it, because um, it's it's delivered in a very enjoyable way. Um, there's also Byzantium, that's got a new Red Band trailer. Catching Fire, Hunger Games, Catching Fire. Uh, so good. That got a trailer. So um, Helen did a great trailer breakdown, so check that out on the website too. Lone Ranger got a new trailer too, which is longer. It wasn't that well received, certainly by our Facebook followers who all just wrote underneath it, and I promise you this is true. No, nope, no thank you. <laughs> I won't be watching that, thanks. In a very polite way, which is another reason why I love our readers. They don't go, this looks rubbish. They go, nope. Do you know They're what? I actually friend. heard from a, an inside source <clears throat> who had seen some footage of Lone Ranger that apparently it's actually terrific. So I hear. This is an yeah. inside source from Disney, so how, how much faith we can place in that, I don't I don't know yet. Mm. But the, the word is actually pretty good. I, and yeah. the trailers have, frankly, not been pretty good. So, you know, it's all still... Maybe that, that, they're just not doing it justice. Well, that apparently was the final trailer, so... I just wonder whether people are going to watch it. I do Also, wonder. you know, if, if you're going to watch one film... Uh, about a guy with a bird on his head then it should probably be the next one <laughs> mm. well, that's true that's true uh, we've also got a trailer for R.I.P.D which stands for Rest in Peace Department which is a adaptation of a black ho- of a dark horse comic book series and it is about undead people or people who have died who get brought into a police department that works essentially for God and they make sure that demons and other ghoulish folk it's very men in black in case you're wondering don't damage the real human world uh, it stars Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds Ryan Reynolds is a young cop who's killed in the prime of his life and then is given a chance to work for the RAPD to find out who did it and then there's also Jeff Bridges who is playing essentially Rooster Cobbin in a kind of a massive drunk just got off a massive meth binge nuts version of that really deep gravelly voice obviously so having the there's time of his life there's a gag I quite like where they look like, uh, you know, Ryan Reynolds and Jeff Bridges to us, but to everyone on Earth, they look like a blonde model and Lopan from Big Trouble in Little China. That's who Ryan Reynolds looks like to everyone else. So they keep cutting to, you know, they're running around doing heroic stuff and then they cut to just, like, people in, on the street going, what the hell? <laughs> like, seeing these two guys running around. That's it, hilarious. I do actually enjoy that joke. Um, I think it's interesting this was delayed by six months it was going to be coming out earlier this year and that's now coming out I think in August for the UK so we'll see I love both of those guys just just as people as well as actors so here's hoping it's going to be kind of a cross between Beetlejuice and Men in Black you're just hoping that there's more to it than the pun really aren't you that's the uh... basically that's the thing but you know let's hope elsewhere just to quickly wrap it up Elysium trailer came out late last week if you haven't seen that already do check it out it's also uh, got a trailer breakdown thanks to Nick so look at that and the biggest one perhaps of all was the new Man of Steel trailer which for me fully got me excited about this film Mm. I was kind of curious about it I didn't want to see yet another Superman uh, but this is kind of delivering big exciting action beats um, that I wanted to see and we got to see more of Krypton and a bunch of other stuff it does look very, very good. I have to say, that my one thing about this film at the moment is, here's my prediction, uh, Zack Snyder's going to get all the blame for anything that doesn't work and Christopher Nolan's going to get all the credit for anything that does and uh, let's try not to do that. Okay. 
I can't help but see that happening. I can't help but see that happening. Yeah. Anyway, that is the trailer roundup. In addition to that, there's also a General Zod teaser clip, which is quite well done. It, it was done in a viral fashion, and it's quite intimidating and threatening if you there's want to see Michael also Shannon. a trailer for the Zombieland TV spin-off, which looks dreadful. Fully bad. Fully yeah. bad. It seems like they, they've seen the humour in Zombieland, and they've not really understood it. It's like, like they have the voiceover and they have the title cards, but the tone is so far off. It's like the little brother of Zombieland that watched it once and just went, uh, yeah, yeah, and there are zombies. <laughs> it's, like, have- it's, yeah, it's like a YouTube kind of parody. Oh, it's just honestly. Do they have a cameo from Brian Doyle Murray? <laughs> this is interesting because it's being done by Amazon's uh, TV outlet, who yeah. are also doing an Onion. If you read The Onion online or read their books or whatever, um, they're doing The Onion News Network, which stars Jeffrey Tambor and from seeing the <laughs> Zombieland trailer, I am scared mm. because uh, the Onion News Network deserves better than that. Who knows? Different people. It's, it's their move to out Netflix. Netflix, isn't it? Really? Correct. That's the, yeah, that's apparently it. Just doesn't seem. On to that be. note, I just want to say five weeks until new Arrested Development. Yes, hold tight. And and one day till Hemlock Grove. Indeed, the Indeed. countdown begins. All right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, time now for our second interview of the week. Uh, when a new version of Evil Dead was announced, the internet went predictably wiggy and promised to eat the filthy soul of those responsible. And yet here we are with the film opened at number one in the US box office. Uh, it's already outgrossed all of the uh, previous films in the series, and it's generally been welcomed with open arms by uh, fans and critics. Director Fede Alvarez and star Jane Levy came in to talk to myself and Chris about demons, Sam Raimi, and thousands of gallons of blood. Uh, we're delighted to be joined in the pod booth by the director and star of Evil Dead, Fede Alvarez and Jane Levy. Hello. Welcome Hello. to the pod booth. Thank you. How's it going? Good. I imagine it's going pretty good because you guys were number one in the, uh, at the US box office and in about 10 or 11 days you've, you've outgrossed the entire original Evil Dead trilogy. So that's, <laughs> that's not bad. How does that feel? It's not bad at all. Yeah. It's not bad at all. Did you uh, have any sense that this movie was going to take off in this way when you started it? Did you have any sense of Evil Dead as a property that people were excited about? Yeah, I mean, I actually I didn't know about the size of this franchise mm-hmm. until I started doing press and I went to Comic-Con and WonderCon, these conventions where Bruce Campbell is a god. And then I started to grasp the like how enormous this is and how big the fan base is. But when you make a movie, you don't... I mean, I don't think about how many tickets it's going to sell. I think mm-hmm. that's the studio's job. Uh, we just try to make a good movie and like finish it. This was also a really hard shoot, so we just tried to... like you know, get through the day every day, and then this is all a plus. I remember when we were shooting, I was so tired at one point, Fede had to remind me that we were actually making a movie that people would see in the movie theaters, and now that this has all happened, it's, I mean, it's it's great. (laughs) So my friends and I back home, we're all, you know, big Sam Raimi followers since Darkman came out, I guess. For my generation, Darkman was the, wow, that thing that came out in 1990 and 91. And we became fans since then, so I knew exactly what the Sam Raimi universe means to a lot of people because it meant a lot, a lot to us, right? Mm. Did I give you pause when taking this movie on? Because you know what fanboys are like mm-hmm. on the internet; they can get quite up in arms about 
horror remakes in particular. Yeah, yeah. I was never really worried about it because you know when you're a fan of something and you really know about something, you have the real fans, the one that really know, and then you want they have all the ones that pretend to be fans and kind of you know say and they complain about it. And so we uh, there was a lot of people that we knew that were real fans. They were like, yeah, you should, you, you, you're talking like you know about evil, you know what evil that is, and you don't. So we didn't really care about a big chunk. We do care about the real ones because, like I said, we we were fans of these films since I guess I, I watched I actually saw Evil Dead before Darkman but I didn't yeah. know it was Sam Raimi and then after I went crazy about Darkman I realized that he was the same guy that did Evil Dead so we really know the franchise so when it comes down to you know you talk with people and a lot of people they think they're big fans and they know but then you realize they don't really know as much as they say so we <laughs> I was more worried about my f- close friends and people that are really hardcore fans and they know that universe and uh, and, and, and in a way we, we made the movie to fit our taste right yeah. we made it for ourselves and that's the only way you can do anything you, it's like like Jane was saying you're not you cannot be thinking about the huge audience. You cannot really, it's impossible to know them. You know, all you can know is your friends, your close friends. Like, how are they going to like this or not? And while we're shooting stuff, while I'm shooting a scene, I know, like, I know my buddies are going to love this you know, mm. because they love horror and they love these kind of movies. And I did it too. So it's kind of a, that's the kind of, you go with your guts based on that, on the people you know, not, yeah. not the big audience. That's just a, a name. It's not real. You know, it's impossible to imagine how, how much people is that, right? And of course, you had three guys, three fans that you really had to please as well, who were connected with the movie. I mean, the original, the original Evil Dead trilogy, I guess. Of course, Rob Tabard, Sam Raimi, and Bruce Campbell. And I know Rob was the producer. Was he the producer on set throughout? Yeah. 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 Um, but Sam and Bruce today flit in, in and out now and again. How did that work? Not on set. Okay. But I think also based on this, there's a kind of a unwritten rule between directors that you don't step in another director's set you know like because otherwise right away you're going to feel that the other director is looking at your monitor going like what is he doing <laughs> and uh, so you never you never do that and um, I actually spent on I spent some time on on the Oz set which maybe I shouldn't have okay and I was looking at the monitor going like what are you doing Sam <laughs> I was like okay Feta give me notes give me notes originally I wanted <laughs> Sam to direct the opening scene of the movie but, um, but okay. it was impossible schedule-wise. Oh, interesting. Okay. Through the, with the chase through the woods or the, the bit in the uh, With the, the girl, shed. with the father at the, the opening scene. Yeah. Okay. I, and actually, I wanted Sam to, to um, play the father. But it was going to confuse people regarding, <laughs> regarding the tone. And, yeah. Jane, how about you? I mean, on the original, um, Sam Raimi famously put Bruce Campbell through hell. So, you know, on a scale of one to total hell, how, how hellish was it? It was, I think it's probably going to be the hardest job I, I'll ever have to do. Uh, I feel like I can do anything now. It was hard. I mean, we did this movie without CGI, so we had to do all the, the effects, and it was a really long shoot. When, when limbs are flying all over the place, it takes a while to shoot it. You know, you got to clean up the blood after every take. And um, I'm still Fede's friend. <laughs> and I'm gonna do another one. So, but uh, hopefully, hopefully the second one I won't be tortured as much. Right. I mean, yeah. I think most people probably yeah. want me to be tortured. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sam Raimi, uh, famously as well, uh, when he was torturing Bruce Campbell, he wouldn't just do it psychologically on set. Whenever Bruce or Ash was poked with sticks or anything, uh, Sam would tend to be the guy holding the stick, poking his very good friend in the face. Uh, Fede, did you actually ever physically torture Jane yourself? Did you pick up anything and start? 
hitting Jane over the head with it. She's did nodding. I? Did I? So. Well, he buried me when I was buried <laughs> oh, alive in this movie. Fede was the one with the with the shovel. <laughs> well, I think it was more out of love. Carried. <laughs> okay. I felt like if somebody's going to hurt her, it better be me. <laughs> Take the responsibility. Aww. It's just a matter. I don't know. Like every time we were going to do something that was very, you know, that had to be very precise, and you know, you don't want to have somebody throwing dirt at her face and you on your chair screaming like more dirt, more dirt. That's kind of you know, wrong. So. I know. I think we did get to do it in one take because you yeah. did it. For me, I'm proud when people faint. It's happened, happened a lot lately. A lot of people are taking pictures of their friends fainting on the theater. Have you seen those on Twitter? No. Wow. Like they take pictures of when they're removing their friends from the theater <laughs> and they, they bust it online and then they're... It's like a new meme. Yeah. Or there was a, a tweet to you of a woman with an IV after she had to go to the hospital because she... Was oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. Really? Yeah, uh-huh. a lot of people fainting. Oh, my God. It's great. I mean, when we were writing the movie, we were really hoping for that. I mean, we... Grew up with stories of the past horror <laughs> movies when they came out. They did that to the audience, like mm. The Exorcist, did that a lot, and a lot of yeah. people passing out. And and uh, and this one, you know, does the same thing right now. It's it's so happy, you know. It's something that it's very hard to get somebody to faint out of showing them stuff. You know, like you know, you sit down there, you're gonna start watching. <laughs> we you go, okay, faint me. You know, like make me faint. <laughs> and it, and we managed we, su- we succeed several times, and it's uh, it's awesome. I mean, I, I always tell the story that, that one of after one of the days of shooting of the last scene, I went back home, and went to the supermarket before I got uh, I got home, and I'm like, you know, walking there like a zombie trying to figure it out. You know, it's like this is seven a.m. in the morning, right? And like coming back home, and uh, and suddenly I realize some ladies looking at me with a baby, and I'm like completely covered in blood. <laughs> I'm dressed in black, you know, my black clothes, and I'm completely covered, like head to toe, right? And, I, and I'm gonna start explaining to the lady that this is fake blood. We shoot in a movie, so I just rather get out of there. <laughs> just like I grab my stuff and I ran to the car. You have a shovel. <laughs> exactly. You have a chainsaw. It's a severed arm in your hand. <laughs> so, my yeah. dream set is the set of The Exorcist, where the director has a gun <laughs> on set. Did well, he really? Yeah, he was. Yeah. You know, yeah. fire shots in the air, just scared. You know. That's how you make a classic. <laughs> to, un- to, unsettle the, to unsettle the actors and to get a sense of yeah. anything might happen at any time. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. she's looking really disturbed now, so you might be yeah. in trouble for well, the sequel. Well, at the sequel, beginning, yeah. I, I mean, was the open. The guns going to come for the sequel. I was beginning, like, you know, bef- before takes, Fede would have me doing full-on sprints. I would pour a bucket of water in my head because I'm wet the whole movie, and then Fede would have me sprint back and forth, and then I would jump in the car, or I would jump rope before the scene, and I was sort of willing at the beginning to be tortured, and then by the end it was like, get get the fuck away. And I remember really having to say to myself before the shot, so honestly, to, I, I had to say like over and over again, my mantra was like, you're not gonna die. I was actually, as an actor and as a person, I was like, Jane, you're not gonna die, you're not gonna die, it's not that, but I was like so, it, it's so overwhelming and like so t- exhausting and emotionally draining. I was actually telling myself that over and over again. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) It's dramatic. I was telling her, you're going to die. You're going to die all the time. Covered in blood with a fake shovel, yeah. (laughs) You weren't even born when Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 came out, so what knowledge did you have? No, I had no idea what I was getting into. Okay. Basically. (laughs) So now you do. Sequel? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're writing a story right now. um, We still have to decide a lot of things about where the story's going to go and... And uh, but it's definitely a lot of fun. I mean, thinking about another one, it's just it's just great. And and, and the fact that the movie you know had a big audience and all the people respond to the film and all that, it's great because we have people that are, they want to know 
where is it going? So yeah. they really want that other, that next film. And, and also it's going to be the first time in a long time it's going to be a completely new and fresh Evil Dead where it's not borrowing anything from a, a previous movie. And um, so, I mean, our new our movie is quite different anyways, but it's still borrowing a lot of elements from the first one. So this one is going to be a completely new journey. It's not going to be a remake of Evil Dead 2 or nothing mm. like that. It's just going to be a new Evil Dead film, and it's exciting. Would you develop the film tonally, the films tonally and, and, and going towards it, Evil Dead 2, Evil uh, Army of Darkness, a bit more comedy in, in the sequel, do you think? is that? I don't think he's going to tell you. Yeah? No, I'm not going to tell you. He's <laughs> definitely going to surprise you. Yeah. I mean, if, like I always said, if... If whatever we do is something that you're expecting and you go like, yeah, I knew they were going to do that, I'm, mm. man, we're doing a lousy job. Because, uh, yeah, because our job as a filmmaker is to surprise everybody and to go like, oh, shit, I never yeah. saw that coming. Um, that's kind of the whole idea of a story, of a storytelling. And, you know, even with a sequel, you kind of want to surprise people. And, uh, mm. So we, and if, you know, Evil Dead has room for that. It's always been a crazy saga. It's one of the weirdest franchises ever. I mean, mm. they're, how different they're one from each other. Every movie from the previous one is so different. Um, so we want to keep that going, right? There's an interesting uh, thing about this movie, though. People, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the phone, um, that people look at this movie as a remake. Mm-hmm. But it's not really, is it? This is a sequel. Isn't it? This is they essentially as many thing. things. It depends who is you know talking about it. Some people ask me if if we if we took inspiration from Cabin in the Woods. So mm-hmm. you know, like some people that don't even understand this is you know based on a classic, and um, and other people that are just you know crazy fans and they know every detail about the original, right? So. Um, sorry, what was the question? I got. It's a, it's more I of a sequel, distracted. I guess. Than a yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it is. Uh, it was billed as a as a remake, right? Mm-hmm. Based on the original film, but in a way, naturally, when I was you know writing the script with uh, Roto, my co-writer and friend, we were naturally we we wanted to build it in a way that felt that it wasn't overriding anything. That's what I didn't want to do. That's why we changed. I asked to remove the D and call it just Evil Dead so we always know that we have D Evil Dead and mm-hmm. we have Evil Dead. And um, and and in a way to construct it so we can feel that it's on the same storyline, right? Yeah. In the same timeline. It, and it's not overriding the mythology of the first film. So we, we created it in a way that nothing, if we go watch uh, the original film, I don't think there's many things that contradict this film in any level. So... It is, but it's not. I, I did a remake, sequel. It's all a marketing term. It's not really when you're telling the story that doesn't really matter, right? You mm-hmm. just create a story, and, and we wanted to create it, yes, in a, in a way that may feel that happen afterwards. Okay, the movie as it ends now is very open ended, but I, I I know you guys shot something, another ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, will we ever see that ending? Will that be? Oh well, no, but what, what you're probably talking about is something that somebody just wrote online that is not true. Mm-hmm. There was a scene that we wrote. And the intention was to have um, Bruce's character, Ash, coming in the last moment. And that was the way it was written. Um, not with a fight, like somebody said online, that they, they, you know, like Ash finds Mia and then Mia turns to a demon. The fight it was never like that. And mm-hmm. um, it was only, we were, we were just connecting the, the two mythologies at the end of the film. And, um, and just, Bruce was busy with his show he, he was in Miami shooting we were in New Zealand shooting so mm-hmm. it became very complex to just make it happen and we actually shot the scene with a different actor like standing in for Bruce and and then I guess we decided not to include it in the movie because we we want to have freedom to decide where we're going 
one for the next movie, right? Yeah. So whatever we were doing there, it would lock ourselves down into a particular setup. So that's why we didn't use it. But it was mm. never that thing that people talk about it. I mean, yeah, but we discussed it in some <clears throat> point, I think, and, and that came out of said that somebody said, like, yeah, Fede, I want to do that. And it said, so, but I said crazy stuff all the time and said, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah, I want to do that. But m- most of those are just crazy ideas. Because the, the original is famous for that, that, that last shot of yeah. the, the evil going through We actually did that shot, too. Yeah. I never used it. Okay. I, and I and I ruined the shot because I screamed so loud that the DP, like the first time we did it, he like he stepped back and the yeah. the camera the shot was ruined because I screamed so loud. With an Evil Dead two coming, and potentially an Evil Dead four coming, is that, was that could that get confusing or do you think no? Well, yes and no, but I, I think we. Uh, at least I have my dream scenario for, for the future and I discussed it with Sam and Bruce and basically was you know doing a sequel to this film uh, getting to know Mia's character even more and and follow her on a, on a new adventure while Sam is doing is is continuing the story of Ash on the Army of Darkness universe on a on the Army of Darkness 2 that he really wants to do and he always been talking about it because he really wants to make another one with Bruce. That's the reality. Mm. Everything comes from the love Sam has for these films. And so he wants to do another one with Bruce. And so we're saying, okay, I, I can, you know, create this Evil Dead 2 where we follow Mia's story. And he's going to do Army of Darkness 2 where he, you know, he, he brings the character of Ash back to a new generation and they can get to meet him and, and know everything about him. And then we do a final film where we can connect all the mythologies in just a one mm. epic final Evil Dead film. That would be awesome. Dead Eye Adventures, awesome. I guess. Uh, would be, <laughs> exactly. That would be cool. If you can say that this is Evil Dead 4 and Army of Darkness 2 will then be Evil Dead 5, mm-hmm. does that make your Evil Dead 2 Evil Dead 6? It will be... Sev- well, yeah, 6. 7th <laughs> will be the last one, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> I'm getting confused already, but, uh, <laughs> but it's been an absolute pleasure having you. But it's the whole thing. Thank you. I mean, the whole Evil Dead movies always have been confusing and weird. The second one is kind of a remake of the first one. It's a recap, but then but it's a different story because this time Bruce is not with his friends. It's just with the girlfriend. Yeah. And so it's not really a recap of the same story. It's a different story to recap, right? So it's always been weird. And then Army of Darkness is just completely insane. They yeah. go to the medieval times. They, yeah. were, they were go- going to call it Medieval Dead. Yeah. It's just like completely insane. And that, that's what I... I think people left them because they don't buy by any rules. Just like whatever they, they are, whatever they want to be, and, mm. and I think that's something important. Every evil that has to be, they don't really care about whatever is going on, whatever is trendy. Whatever you know, that's the beauty about this film. You know, is the trend right now was to make, you know, found footage ghost stories and. Uh, and even if they're not fan footage, ghost stories are the trend, you know, because you can make something appear and disappear. And, and, and that that way you have a lot of jumps that don't, doesn't have to turn into a scene. Somebody shows up, disappear, shows up, disappear. And and we didn't, and, and this movie is completely against the trend in a way. That's, that's why I think it worked at the end of the day. People saw it as something fresh and new. That's why it has to keep to being, right? Yeah. And you feel that. Absolutely. Well, again, thanks for coming in. And uh, best of so luck much. with the, uh, the sequel, wherever you, wherever you may take it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cheers. All right, enough foreplay. On with the reviews. Uh, Let's start where we just finished with Evil Dead. Uh, Note the absence of a definite article there, which sees five friends head to a cabin in the woods to help one of their number, it's Jane Levy's Mia, to go cold turkey. But when one of them reads from a creepy book they find in the cellar, it all goes a bit demonic. So, what was our take on this? Well, I'm going to take over, frankly, this one. I I am a bit of a scaredy cat, uh, as you know. 
So I was freaking terrified the entire way through this film. Um, pretty much from there, there's maybe like 20 minutes at the start where I was pretty good. You know, nothing was going to happen. They were sort of setting up the characters. They hadn't read from the book yet. Crucially, the Necronomicon. The Necronomicon, Apparently, which isn't named. Is true? They're not allowed to call it the Necronomicon due to legal issues. With I didn't know the Lovecraft that. estate. Well, they certainly didn't. Um, I've, I've read that online that that's the case. Yeah. But. Talking uh, of but embarrassing things that you've done in interviews, I once. Uh, <laughs> wow. No, back in the day, I, I non sequitur. I won't even say who I said it to because it's so embarrassing. Um, uh, director of Gremlins, uh, Necronomicon. Um, <laughs> totally came out of my mouth, and he looked. So at that's me. when zombies take over the San Diego Convention Center. He thought I was making a joke, and I just looked at him and went. That would be a heck of a movie pitch. Necro comic. Uh, Nick, Necro we should copyright comic. this immediately. So Evil Dead's been quite quite well received, and Chris, yep. who just eats, sleeps, and breathes Evil Dead, mm. uh, gave it the big old scaly thumbs up. Yeah. Um, can you, in all honesty, take an Evil Dead film or a film like that seriously in a post-Cabin in the Woods world? Well, uh, interestingly... Uh, I think yes, you can. I will be. I will be honest. When they first drive up to the cabin, I was having flashbacks mm. to both Cabin in the Woods and to Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Um, so yeah, that is a that is a factor for a moment or two. But it's just um, it's kind of you know pretty pacey and pretty relentless when it gets going. I mean, it's probably just under ninety minutes, so it's you know quite fast paced. Uh, but it, you know it it does deliver on the horror. And I think what's also worth remembering is, of course, the first Evil Dead was a proper horror movie it mm. was not the comedy horror it's a video nasty songs. in many yeah. ways isn't it? It, it, it was I think named as one of them at the yeah. time um, so it, it, it didn't have the same comedy factor that, that the later ones did and I mean there are moments where this is so over the top that a couple of people in, in the cinema were sort of tittering but I think they were in the sense in the way that you do when it all gets a bit nervous intense. tittering yeah, yeah. Um, so and just so over the top kind of gore you know which, which occasionally and, and we're presuming everyone knows the plot but essentially yeah. Some young folk go to a cabin in the woods, and guess what? Zombies arrive after they read a book, which maybe they shouldn't have. Maybe. Well, yeah. Basically, they get possessed uh, and and start cutting bits off each other. The moral of this series is essentially: don't read. It's bad for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watch TV. Well, I don't know. I don't know that it's too big a leap to say don't read from the book covered in human skin <laughs> and scribbled all over with notes from other people who've read from it before you hey, saying do not read this. But remember Nakata's The Ring. Do you know what I mean? All entertainment is really out of bounds when you get right down to it. That is true. And then there was what was the one with, about haunted Wi-Fi? Remember, what was it called? <laughs> Signal cell? Di-Fi. What's it called? I would call it Does anyone remember what that was well, called? Well, Doctor Who Bell. just did an episode Dreaming. on Wi-Fi that kind of steals your brain yeah yeah. haunted Wi-Fi haunted TVs haunted books really we should all just go to sleep but then Freddy will get you oh my god it's just terrible <laughs> you just can't win what are we going to do I've got get another question about this one which yeah. is apparently it's got buckets and buckets and buckets of blood is it true that this it is does. full on gore fest yes uh, there is one point where it literally rains blood they went through something like 70,000 gallons of blood. So be prepared for redness. Um, there is also, you know, there are a few nods to the original in terms of limbs chopping, being chopped off. Um, Farewell you know, to arms, etc. Indeed, indeed so, yes. It's very literary that way. You know, there's there's scalding hot water. There's all sorts of uh, nasty, heavy, blunt and sharp instruments being used. Uh, so, y- yeah, all of that is very much present and correct. There's lots of... Um, demonic sort of uh, snarling at people um it is it is pretty full-on i mean we gave this three stars it's it's not quite you know a horror classic it's not up there with the original but it's certainly as a sort of uh, uh, i guess a, a shot to the arm of the franchise mm. it, it definitely works can and I, uh, and stay after the credits indeed yeah can i ask about how this works maybe we'll cut this out because it's too much of a spoiler but i've overheard people saying 
that it isn't a remake of the first film. It is a kind of parallel thing. Yes. Now, this is obviously something we talked about in the interviews. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's supposed to be a sequel, not a remake, essentially. Yeah, there's, a, there's an interesting question of whether this is a sequel or a remake, or kind of both. It's Evil Dead 4. In I mean, it can, it can belong in the same universe quite easily the... and you could have me uh, meeting ash which is something that that fede obviously just talked about and which could happen um but it doesn't have to so you can take it whichever way you want basically and i think they're not too fussed about it they, they've they've included lots of nods to the original but they haven't they have not remade the same story it doesn't have like a tree scene the roots or anything yeah it does yeah it does yeah. crap i'm not watching this film <laughs> it's it's yeah it's not that, that fun, scares but, yeah. the horrible out of me Basically, uh, scary, gory, uh, and quite a lot of fun for me anyway. Uh, Evil Dead got three stars, which is a recommendation. Uh, next, we have the first of two of this year's White House thrillers. Um, Olympus Has Fallen comes from director Antoine Fuqua and sees Jared Butler as a disgraced Secret Service agent who's all that stands between President Aaron Eckhart and total disaster when terrorists attack Washington. So what was our feeling on this? I know there were some quite strong feelings on this. Mm. Well, I, I enjoyed this when it was 24 season 7, yeah. <laughs> um, in which a, a bunch of bad guys invade the White House house and take the president hostage and it is essentially you know a, a better version of this film i i know that some people enjoy this more than i did uh i love the Die Hard series and i i love a good trashy action movie i didn't enjoy this it must be said i thought it was lacking in fun and uh not particularly smart i did think the first act was decent the sequence where the um the bad guys who are a bunch of north koreans uh, but not crucially part of the North Korean government. I think it's important politically that we make it clear that they are a, yes, a very, radical very terrorist important. group. And I've heard Jared Butler explaining that in several interviews. It's very much <laughs> like the Patriot Games thing, isn't it? Where it it's is, like yes. so ex- Sean Bean is so extreme, the IRA have expelled him. Exactly. And know, these guys which is, are so extreme that, yeah. Which is something that Hollywood films do, just so they don't get in trouble with anyone. Yeah, I don't imagine there's a huge market for this film in North Korea, I'll be honest with you. You'd be surprised. Yeah. Um, well, Kim Young loves uh, Hollywood movies, apparently. Yeah, this will be on the internet in no time. <laughs> Indeed, screenings in the demilitarized zone. So, yeah, there's, there's a great sequence where the the bad guys launch this assault on the White House lawn, and it's actually very, very intense. Antoine Fuqua can mm. do, you know, pretty brutal, gripping action. It was much more brutal than I was expecting. That whole very yes, it is. Hat. It's a lot more violent. You mm. think a lot more. A He's lot the more guy bloody. behind Training Day. See, it's right? funny. Everyone always says that. Everyone always says Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day, as if that's the only film he's ever done. Well, it's one of the only very good films Ooh, he's ever done. Harsh. No, well, no, because he's. I mean, he's made some dreadful. Shooter, however, I stand behind. Shooter was a lot of fun. Shooter is a lot of fun. I read. I, was, I read an interview with Eminem where he said he watched that fifty times in one month. That's excessive. Shooter. Yes, he's obsessed with Mark Wahlberg apparently. Okay, that's. And he was, he was going through a, a dark time, and so he just watched Shooter <laughs> in his private screening room. That's fairly over sinister. and over again. Okay, yeah. so it's quite a good, quite intense first act. Yeah. Then we get into. Gerard Butler, who is a sort of disgraced Secret Service agent, who, you know, there's a bit of a tragedy in the the very opening scene, and he basically is the man on the spot, the only guy who yeah. can who can basically, you know, it's essentially die hard. He's inside the White House, creeping around. Budget Bauer. And at that point, it's just the action isn't particularly inventive. There's there's stuff we can't really get into, but there's no. plot holes. There's some, there are the some some good sort of one-liner bits of dialogue in there. Mm. There's a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, can we can we say what that? Our great fa- line off, is? My favourite line of the year line, so yeah. far. Let's have a game of fuck off. You go first. It's a good genius. Line. He's also surprisingly knifey. He uh, is he very knifey. stabbing people in the head with a knife. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure why. It's a weird theme, isn't it? The head stabbing. It is yeah. a weird theme. But 
I had a couple of issues with this. First of all, it's one of those many movies in Hollywood where a woman gets killed just so a guy can feel something. Uh, second of all, Angela Bassett is the head of the Secret Service in this. She's in the sort of situation bunker outside the White House trying to kind of keep things under control along with Morgan Freeman as the Speaker of the House, etc. And... Um, and she keeps sort of gasping in horror and, and looking panicked and terrified. And I kept, I kept thinking, you're the head of the Secret Service, woman. Come on, man up. Yep. Anyway. There, a, there's a number of thankless roles in this. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of an oblivion reunion. You've got Melissa Leo and Morgan Freeman. But Morgan <laughs> Freeman, I've never seen him looking this bored. He's got, he's got one little bit of dialogue where he t- talks about how he wants his coffee to be made, which yeah. I can only presume he insisted was put in, so he'd have something too, in Too sweet and low. I should point out, he never gets that coffee. No, he I doesn't. was so bored watching this film, I was going, when's he getting his coffee? I thought that was going to be a moment, but he never gets it. I should also point out on a coffee theme, everyone in the Pentagon briefing room has got a mug that says the Pentagon on the side. Again, I noticed that because I was bored and looking around the screen. <laughs> I just thought that is ridiculous. It's like all of us sitting in the room with Empire mugs. And you did notice uh, the, the, the there's some lots and lots of there's lots and lots of text in this film. They have a thing for when someone comes on the screen, their name and job title flashes and up the on exact the screen. Time. Every single scene, Who cares? it goes it goes eleven forty one, eleven forty four. 11.49 and you go okay in a film that's A in real time or B has some kind of time deadline that would make sense this film has neither it's, it's not just 24. telling you the time yeah. in it's case you're wondering you know. it's still going on um, and yeah and, and also uh, they spell White House wrong which is never good news reports. which is never good those were r- remarkably unconvincing news reports actually and that was something that leapt out at me they did not look like any Spot- TV news I've seen in the last 20 years they look like the scenes from Birdemic if you've just, seen that. just because we have been kicking the living daylights out of this I will say I actually quite enjoyed it I had fun um, too it was nonsense to me it was under Siege 3 um, with a sort of less ponytaily hero fewer chefs um <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's you know what I mean. It's the thing. Lots of these siege movies try to be diehard, but Rick Eunice and Alan Rickman and Jared Butler isn't Bruce Willis, uh, and it doesn't have any of the charm, any of the wit, I'd or say any of the storytelling. Even Steven Seagal, because <laughs> yeah, no, no, well. that's, not, that's not that's not talking about Jared Butler. That's no, talking about the character, because you know even Casey Ryback, he's yeah. a chef. He's writing his memoirs. There's stuff you can remember about him. It's not great characterization, admittedly. But can you remember Mike anything? Banning. Can you remember anything about Mike Banning? He's a secret service agent uh, he, that was disgraced. He can box. There's literally nothing. Um, and Aaron Eckhart really. Uh, he was very entertaining he's on the a podcast last week. Of manhood. He but grimaces like there is, no one I've ever seen. Yeah, he he gets nothing to do in this film. I should point. Yeah, nothing. No. The film really strains to make him seem tough and manly and and presidential while chaining him to a wall for like the entire film mm. you know and it, and it's a it's a difficult thing to do and ultimately it might just be barking up the wrong tree like yeah. you know maybe it would have been better if he'd been an old you know weak president who was chained to they, a wall they introduce him in a boxing ring and yet you know, he's not, quite ineffectual. Yeah, but the thing is, for all this, it's—I mean, it's—it's it's not a good film. Let's be honest. But I didn't get bored. It was relatively entertaining. If they'd bashed it as Under Siege Three, and I'd hide it out, I'd have been relatively happy. I think with what for I was a getting, Friday so. night, when you're a bit tired and yeah. you don't want anything to strain your brain, this you know, probably. And if you watch. go, if you go to Blockbuster, if in fact Blockbuster still exists, I can't even remember. Um, and someone's already hired Shooter, then go for <laughs> it. Eminem. <laughs> Eminem has already taken out every copy of Shooter. On a plus note, um, I will say this: it has got the greatest use of a hashtag in an action sequence 
in any oh, film I've ever God. seen. Oh my God, yeah, that's genius. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So that was Olympus Has Fallen. Uh, that got two stars from us. Uh, next up, uh, it's a, another hostage drama. This is uh, Matthew Kasovich's true life hostage drama, Rebellion, which sees him trying to unravel a political mess when rebels in a French colony take French policemen hostage in the middle of the presidential election. Uh, that was the one between Mitterrand and Chirac, if you're a, an aficionado of French politics of the 80s. Uh, now, it's kind of interesting, actually, to contrast this hostage drama with the last one because they really couldn't be less alike, could they, Ali? No, this one's very sober, uh, it's very real, and it is in no way shonky or schlocky or silly. There are no catchy one-liners, nothing explodes into a puff of awesome. It's it's gritty and it's real, and, mm. it, and it tells a, a real-life story that, for me, I knew nothing about before I watched it. So I, I was really quite shocked by what went on. Uh, essentially, in, in New Caledonia, as we discussed in the interview with Mathieu, uh, there was a very tricky situation where it's a French colony and the the natives who are called... Um, Canucks. Canucks, yeah. Essentially want to have more freedom. You know, this is a natural devolution. But what they decide to do is go and hold some policemen hostage, members of the gendarmerie. And in the process, they didn't mean to shoot anyone or hurt anyone, but things get out of hand, and they do. The French president at the time and his, you know, is trying to show that he's good, good for right-wing votes and goes, right, you know, just go get him. I don't, I don't want you to do necessarily negotiations. And it's poor, this poor character, Le Gorgeux, who has to kind of, he's between a rock and a hard place. He can't, he's serving two masters, his own conscience, which is saying you, you can't just allow them to go in their guns blazing. But he can't because his boss has told him that he can't do this. It's very well shot. I mm. really enjoyed it, the way it looked, the way it felt. Um, it was very visceral, and he delivers a great performance, I felt. He's terrific, actually, and he, it kind of all hangs on him because it's very much seen through his eyes. But it's it's it tries very hard to be balanced between uh, the pressures that the French were under and the, pre- the pressures of the, the French men on the ground, but also um, the Cadacs themselves, and it, it paints a real picture of what their lives are and, and why, you know, they do what they do and so on so I thought it was pretty balanced and yeah and it's also against the background of this you know political struggle between the right wing Chirac and the left wing Mitterrand to uh, you know and they're, they're essentially all pawns in that in that struggle which is yeah. pretty disturbing stuff actually and again still very it's the kind of thing that's very relevant today you know the shades of sort of Iraq and Afghanistan and that kind of thing I thought in here it's got a poster with you know Mathieu on it and there's a big explosion in the background and a helicopter and the you know the jungle's on fire and it looks to me like um, collateral damage it is not that film it is not a crowd pleasing thriller nor does it try to be it is uh, a real life story that is difficult complicated political and quite wordy so don't be missold by that poster but this is a good film four stars from Empire uh, but yes like I say don't go expecting an Arnie does anyone get stabbed in the head no one disappointed is there a hashtag no, this is 1987, I think. Hashtag awesome. They weren't invented. <laughs> no, they were thinking about it. Okay, also this week, uh, we'll just talk about this quite quickly. Uh, Piers Brosnan is starring in Love Is All You Need, which we gave three stars to. Now, Ali, you have seen this because you talked to him this week, didn't you? Of course, exactly, yes. So I had to watch the film, uh, which I was I was like, oh, I wonder what this is going to be like. It was originally called, in its uh, native Denmark, it was called The Bald Hairdresser. <laughs> now, you're probably not thinking wow, I want to go watch that one. What could that be about? But it's actually very, very sweet. I totally understand why they changed the name. Uh, but it's very sweet. It is about a woman who's, who's, who's been suffering from breast cancer and she's given the all clear, you know, the initial all clear. Mm-hmm. And she comes back to your house and sees her husband, 
copping off with one of his secretaries at work just in her lounge and he's like what are you doing here you weren't meant to be coming back uh, and she's like what does that matter that's You've... not the big question that's not the big thought. question yeah. here let's let's deal with something else but no she kind of tries to forgive him and whatever anyway whilst this is Stabs all happening him in the head <laughs> yeah you, did you see it no uh, that doesn't happen it's it's a lot like Mamma Mia but without the singing that's right at no point does Pierce Brosnan sing in this film do not worry that's a bonus star right there that's a definite bonus star <laughs> Uh, anyway, so he, uh, he, you know, is told not to go to the wedding. She goes off to this wedding of her daughter, who's getting married to a chap down in a Italian villa. Now, the Italian villa is owned by this boy's dad. The boy's dad is played by Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan's character and the bald hairdresser, who uh, wears a wig, by the way, bump into each other at an airport. And then this kind of very sweet love affair kind of begins with them. And it's very gradual and, and kind of cute. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's not the cleverest, wittiest thing ever, but it is very sweet and the perfect thing to watch with your mum, uh, if you fancy My mum will definitely be watching this. It's just, <laughs> she, she's a bit obsessed just, with Pierce Brosnan. And they're on language. Danish, English, m- bit of both. Very interestingly done, actually. Though it is a native Danish production, it is, I'd say, about 60% in English. There you go. Though Pierce does speak in Danish sometimes and does speak in English sometimes alright I must say I wish it was still called The Bold Hairdresser mm. I think that is a better title there's a small part of me that wishes that too just mentally call it that yourselves uh, now uh, I'm sorry Matt Damon we're running out of time uh, but we should briefly mention that there's a new uh, Damon and John Krasinski film out this week from director Gus Van Sant uh, the stars who also wrote the movie appear in this tale about small town politics and fracking which is sadly not a Battlestar Galactica reference uh, just quickly what do we think of this just, uh, just quickly what is fracking it is the process of basically uh, strip mining the land for uh, oil, etc. It's, not, it's gas it. related, isn't it? Oil gas. It's, 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 yes, yeah. it's, and there's a lot of controversy about it, whether well, it's uh, very, very bad for yeah. the planet. It, well, it, it, it will it wake very, the very demon bad. that lives at the heart of the earth. Well, crazy Republicans the, uh, would say yeah. no. Uh, it's Northern Exposure with Jason Bourne. <laughs> Sold. There we go. That's what all we we, need. Uh, we we liked it. Uh, yeah, we gave it. We gave it three stars, which is a recommendation. Yeah. Um, yes. No. We liked it. I think the idea was it's a redemption tale, isn't it? He goes there. He wants to frack shit up. Uh, <laughs> he meets John Krasinski and Hal Holbrook, and uh, they tell him fracking is bad. He has a long dark night of the soul and a bit Capra-esque. Yeah. Yes, but not as you know subtle or as sort of well wrought as you would you would have hoped. Um, so yeah, I mean, decent without being exceptional. Okay, fine. Um, it, it was not the promised land. Not another Goodwill Hunting. So. Does this no. make John Krasinski the new Ben Affleck? <gasps> it might. And Say if it so, so. Is Ben Affleck the new Scorsese? I don't know. I've got to figure this out. Okay. Who's the new Steven Seagal? Jared Butler. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's it for this week. Join us next week for more film-related fun when Iron Man three hits our screens. Hurrah! We've all seen it already, but we, we can't tell you about it. If we could, it'd be good though. Uh, we'll be joined by the awesome Don Cheadle to talk about Iron Man 3 uh, beating up Ali and later Hosen uh, because if you can have Don Cheadle in your podcast you should have Don Cheadle in your podcast uh, and to keep things from getting too marvellous uh, see what I did there uh, the great Steve Coogan will also be joining us to talk about his latest film The Look of Love so brace yourselves now for that brace of talent uh, we'll also be reviewing both of those films as well as Bernie and much more so see you here a week from today until then it's goodbye from James bye goodbye from Ali goodbye from Nick goodbye and goodbye from me goodbye <laughs>